Now we turn our attention to a text which calls us to worship. Last week, Sean shared about our great God, who is for us, who loves us, who watches over us and protects us on our journey, and who prays for us. So hear now Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's continue our worship together. And now we'll have uh, Sneha and Naomi come and read the passage for today, John 17. Give them a warm welcome. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the, wor of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so, have, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. All right, well, thank you, Sneha and Naomi. That was fantastic. And good morning. morning. It's good to see you all here on another rainy morning. And it was another week of interruptions, wasn't it? For some of us, at least, and maybe a little uncomfortable. It seems these weeks of interruptions and, and uncomfortableness are becoming more common. And I don't know about you, but as I sat without power for several nights this week, well, I listened to the hum of generators. It felt like I was camping. Um, No lights, but flashlights. It made me think of being still and knowing that He is God. And in the midst of that, I was brought once again to the point where I was thankful for a God who is for me and who prays for me and who is praying for me right now. That is, of course, what John 17 is, God's prayer for you and for me. So let's pray before we get into the text this morning. Well, Father, we thank you again for the tremendous gift that John 17 is. And now, as we explore it again this week, will you, through your Spirit, fill us with hope? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I suggested last week, the way to get in this thick text of John 17 is to ask, what does Jesus desire? What is Jesus asking the Father to do? Last week, we focused on one thing, glory. Jesus wants you and I to know so that the whole world will know the glory of God. Which is to say, the nature and essence of the Father. What the Father is really like. That's 
what glory is. And his glory will ultimately be revealed at the cross on the next day. Remember, this is the day before Jesus goes to the cross. And the cross is where we see the full extent of the self-emptying love of God. We see fully the loving embrace of the Father. And what Jesus desires... What he desires his father to do is to teach all people about his great love for everyone. This is the deepest desire of Jesus' heart. So that was our focus last week. This week, before we get into the text, I'd like to say a few words about structure. What's the structure of this, uh, this prayer, John 17? As I said, it's a very thick text. Most people suggest three sections to this prayer. I think most English translations actually translate it or actually divide it into three sections. The first section where Jesus prays for himself, a second section where Jesus prays for those first disciples, and a third section where he prays for future disciples. Us. That's a convenient structure, but I've never felt like it was as neat as that. After all, what he prays for those first disciples applies to us as well, doesn't it? And what he prays for us applies to them, right? So, um, plus, the themes of the prayer are quite intertwined. And they just keep kind of, Jesus keeps circling back to him as he goes through the prayer. So I wonder if Jesus hasn't given us an audio cue in the prayer. What if we pay attention to his word, Father, to his use of the name Father? So this is actually how I had Naomi and Sneha read it this morning. Every time he says Father, I had them switch. Six times Jesus cries out, Father. Verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Verse 5, Father, glorify me. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Verse 21, Father, even as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 24, Father, I desire. And verse 25, O righteous Father. Father, Father, Holy Father, 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 righteous Father. It's actually a good way to remember the prayer. And could it be that each time Jesus says, Father, he's moving into a relatively new concern or a new desire? Father, Father, Holy Father, 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 Righteous Father. Well, let's dig in by asking this question, what does Jesus desire? And let's begin with one of the key words of the entire prayer. Give or given. And particularly, this word, as it's used to describe those who have been given to Jesus. Seven times Jesus speaks of those whom the Father has given him. 
Verse 2, to all whom you have given. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Verse 6 again, yours they were and you gave them to me. Verse 9, I am praying for them whom you have given me. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them which you have given me. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them which you have given me. And verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. Seven times given. Do you hear what Jesus is saying about you and me? Those who believe in him are given ones are gifts. Gifts from the Father to the Son. I am a gift. You are a gift. All followers of Jesus are gifts. Gifts from the Father to the Son. Talk about identity. Talk about self-esteem. I'm looking at a room full of gifts. Each one of you is a gift from the Father to the Son. Oh, Lord, help us see each other as gifts. Walter Luthi, a Swiss pastor from the mid-20th century, says this about the word given in John 17. He says this, so that is how it came to be. That two men, whom Jesus met at their work by the Sea of Galilee, left their nets and all they had and followed him. And two more, who were with their father mending nets, did the same thing when he called them. So that is what happened when he met Matthew, sitting at the receipt custom, and invited him, follow me, so that he left his job and became a disciple. So it was the Father who gave these men to the Son. In every new disciple, he, Jesus, saw a new gift until their number was complete. While Jesus was calling his disciples on earth, they were chosen for him in heaven. Each one allotted to him by the Father. This is truly an astonishing assertion. And that's what's happening even now, right? The Father is giving disciples to the Son. And of course, this has huge implications for our ministries, for our evangelism ministries. Each new believer is won by us. Each new believer it's not one at all. Each new believer is given, given by the Father to Jesus. They are the fathers. And he gives them to Jesus. In this prayer, Jesus honors all believers as gifts from his Father. He honors you and me as given ones. And he wants you to know that truth. You are a gift. You and me. Well, as we saw last Sunday, he wants the Father to glorify him so that he will then glorify the Father so that 
we can have what? Eternal life. Verses 2 and 3. Since you have given him, that's Jesus, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There is only one true God, and Jesus glorifies him. Jesus makes him known. He makes known God so that we in turn might know God. And Jesus desires that through our knowing of God, by means of him and everything he says and does, we may then have eternal life. The language here is so personal. It's relational language to know the living God in a relationship through Jesus whom he has sent. It's all about relationship. And this is eternal life. Now you probably know that although eternal life is a life that does not end, long life is not the point of eternal life. Eternal life is the life that the eternal God has. It's the life the eternal God is. And Jesus desires to give his given ones this kind of life. Right now. In the present. While living on this earth. So among other things, it's a life characterized by generosity and abundance. And a fullness of Light and purity and extravagant love and a peace that passes all understanding and a fullness of joy. We'll come back to joy at the end. But this is eternal life. This is the life that God is. And that's what Jesus desires to give to you and to me to all his given ones, through a relationship with his Father. The question then is, does he, does Jesus, really have the authority and the power to give this eternal life? Answer, yes. At the beginning of verse 2, Jesus says, God has given him authority over all flesh. Jesus repeats this claim after his resurrection. As you probably know, in the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me. In other words, he doesn't take it. It's given to him on the basis of his loving obedience to the Father in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and ascension. This is what the great Philippians hymn says. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to the call of self-emptying love throughout, God gives him. God gives him 
God his Father gives him authority and power to give life. The life of the eternally living God to all believers. And that's what he desires for us right now. Right now. So what else does he desire for his given ones? He desires that his given ones are kept ones. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them. All those, all those ones you've given to me, Father, keep them. Keep is such a wonderful word in Scripture. Not just protect them, but keep them. Of course, it echoes the great benediction from number six. May God bless you and keep you. But it also echoes a lot of other scripture. Psalm 121, which we read today for our call to worship. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Jude 1, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Father, holy Father, keep my disciples. Keep them, the ones you have given to me. Watch over them, Father. Pay careful attention to them, Father. Hold them safe and secure in your loving hands, Father, forever. Keep them. Now, within this theme of keeping, Jesus does address Judas. Verse 12, I have guarded them while I was with them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, what, what is the scripture that Jesus is referring to here? Well, it's probably Psalm 41, 9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, in this psalm, David is lamenting the fact that people are gossiping about him and plotting evil against him. Jesus has already quoted this psalm in reference to Judas back in chapter 13. So it makes sense that this is, this is probably the scripture he's referring to. But the point is that Jesus never loses any whom the Father has given him except the one who chooses to be lost. The one who has chosen to be the lost. The one who did not want to be the Father's gift. That's Judas. So, Jesus desires to the father, for the Father to keep the disciples. And this keep theme has three aspects to it within the prayer. First of all, Jesus prays to, to keep the disciples in the world. Verse 15, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Later in verse 18, he will pray, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. 
Jesus prays that his given ones not be taken out of the world, but be sent into the world, just as he was. So kept cannot mean to be kept from struggles or pain or suffering or danger. Jesus sends us into the world just as he was sent. Just as he was sent right into the midst of the struggles, the pain, the suffering, and the danger. Just as he was. Sometimes I wish he wouldn't have prayed this. (laughs) And he would have taken us out of the world. So why? Why not take us out of the world? Well, Jesus' disciples must be kept in the world for the sake of the world. Even with all the struggles, pain, suffering, and danger. Even with all the temptations. And why? Because we, the given ones, are the salt of the earth. And the light of the world, as Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, without salt, the earth loses flavor and putrefies. Without light, the world goes dark. So for the sake of the world, which he loves, John 3, 16, for the sake of the world, Jesus' disciples, the given ones, must be kept in the world must be kept in the world. And while we're in the world, Jesus prays for another aspect of being kept. The end of verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name. In verse 12, Jesus says that while he was with them, he kept them in the Father's name. And now that he is leaving, he desires that the Father keep them in the Father's name. Now, as you may know, name is shorthand for character and reputation. Father, keep them in your character. Keep them in your reputation. And what's the name? Holy Father. Holy Father. Holy Pure, radiant, clean, beautiful, beyond comprehension, holy other, Father, Pater, Abba, faithful Papa, Father, keep the given ones as their holy Father, as their pure, beautiful, beyond comprehension, faithful Papa. I think Jesus is praying something like this. Father, guard them from developing distorted images of you. Father, don't let them even begin to think that you're not pure, not good, not loving, not for them. Father, your given ones carry so much pain around the word Father. Heal that pain, Father. Restore to them the joy of your goodness, Father. Father, they also live in a pluralistic world. Do not let them drift into false ideas about you. Keep them 
Keep them in your true and holy name. That's his desire. Keep them with the correct view of your character and reputation. Keep them as you are truly like Father. And there's a third aspect to this keeping, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Do you hear the connections to the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer begins, well, it's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. I actually think John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 is the disciples' prayer. But changing 2,000 years of tradition is probably not worth it. So the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 begins with honoring the name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And ends with seeking, keeping from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. And here, for the sake of the world, the disciples must be kept in the world. They must be kept in his name. And they must be kept from the evil one. The evil one wants to suck disciples back into the world where they will begin resisting and rejecting God. The evil one wants to divert disciples' attention. The evil one wants to distract disciples' devotion. And ultimately, the evil one wants to destroy disciples' confidence in the Father, that he's a good father. Now, we know this from the two great temptation stories in Scripture, Genesis 3 and Jesus' temptation narrative. In these two narratives, we discover that the evil one's major goal is to get us to doubt the goodness of the Father. In Genesis 3, the evil one says to Eve, did God actually say which raises suspicion in her mind that the creator is withholding something good, something that she needs. In Jesus' temptation story, after 40 days of fasting, the evil one says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, stones, Jesus. That's all that's out here. Stones. Seems to me, Jesus, you've been abandoned. Father doesn't love you, Jesus. He's left you out here to die, Jesus. See, the evil one's great desire is to get us to be suspicious of the Father. And Jesus' prayer here is, Father, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Keep them. Keep them, Father, from the evil one. Don't let the evil one undermine their faith. Don't let him trick disciples into putting confidence in other things. Keep them, Father. Keep them in the world for the sake of the world. But as you do, keep them in your name and keep them from the evil one. What else does Jesus desire? 
While they are kept in the world, Jesus desires that they have joy. Joy. Verse 13. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants his joy made full in us. In John 15, Jesus said a similar thing. These things I speak, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And now, a few hours later, he asked the Father to make it happen. Make it happen, Father. As he sends us into the world, he prays for a fullness of joy. Father, help them experience my joy. I'm so thankful Jesus As one person has said, we can't make it without joy. Joy is like oxygen. Without it, life gets sucked right out of us. And this is why he prays to be kept from the evil one, because the evil one is the joy robber. He's always trying to suck the joy out of us. Boy, that power outage was really bad. Sure is uncomfortable, isn't it? Boy, that bank implosion is sure unsettling, isn't it? Isn't it obvious your Heavenly Father has forgotten you? Isn't it obvious he's deserted you? He doesn't care about you. That's the joy robber speaking. But Lord Jesus, he wants us to have joy. And not only joy, but his joy. Father, I desire for them to have my joy, a full, full measure of my joy. So let's go back and review again what joy is. Joy is more than happiness. Happiness is tied to happenings, and so it comes and goes as happenings come and go. Joy is also more than pleasure. Pleasure is tied to glandular functions and therefore comes and goes as glands fluctuate. Joy goes much deeper. And joy is much more stable than happiness or pleasure. Someone has said that joy is the sentiment that says, I'm home and I can rest because this is what I'm made for. I'm convinced that joy is what attracted people to Jesus in the first century. Jesus was not uptight. He was not self-preoccupied. He wasn't worrying about how he came across. He wasn't worrying about what was getting written on social media. He was free to simply be. He was winsome and full of joy. And people flock to him. So what about today? In our culture where on the one hand people are turned off to Christianity, but on the other hand, people have no real exposure to authentic Christianity. What will draw them? Joy. Joy. The genuine joy of Jesus made full in us. Father, Jesus prays, I want my disciples to have my joy in them. 
So last fall, I shared about Karl Barth's definition of joy, which resonates with me. Joy, said Barth, is a defiant nevertheless. In the face of all the messiness of life and all the interruptions of life, joy is a defiant nevertheless. Nevertheless, there is a God. Nevertheless, this God is on the throne. Nevertheless, this God is good. Nevertheless, this God is faithful. Nevertheless, this God is for us. Nevertheless, this God became one of us. Nevertheless, Jesus gave his life for us. Nevertheless, Jesus conquered the grave and is alive today. Nevertheless, Jesus is Lord. Nevertheless, we are, we are being conformed into his likeness. Nevertheless, no one can snatch us out of his hands and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. Jesus wants his defiant nevertheless to be made full in us. Now I have to admit that I, I have to admit that joy is not one of my strong suits. Joy is hard to come by in my life. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because uh, one of my dear friends died last fall who had the genuine joy of Jesus in abundance. At her memorial, I, I simply talked about that. I simply talked about how her genuine joy just radiated. The joy of Jesus just radiated from her. I want that joy. I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. But it's hard. It's hard in an overwhelming and unsettling world. So I know I need someone who will fight for me to know joy. Well, I have someone, and so do you. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is fighting for you and for me right now that we would be filled up to the fullness of his joy. Isn't that good news? Well, as I conclude, I want to call the worship team up here on stage. So what does Jesus desire? What does Jesus want for us? Just listen to all that he is praying for you right now from the throne. From last week, he wants us to know the glory of his Father, who his Father is and what his Father is really like. And from this week, he wants us to really know that we are gifts, gifts from the Father to the Son, all of us, gifts. He wants us to have eternal life, to live in the life of the eternal God right now and forever. And he wants the Father to keep us, to keep us in the world so that we can be salt and light in the world that he loves. And to keep us in the Father's name and to keep us from the evil one. And he wants us to experience the fullness of joy. This 
is an amazing text. But there's one more thing I know he wants for us. He, the risen Jesus, wants to consistently share a meal with us. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus was not only the man of prayer, he was the man of joy. And communion can be a serious and sobering meal, and at times it should be. But you know what? It's also called the sacrament of joy. The sacrament of joy. And why? Because in this meal, we celebrate the life of Jesus for us, but also the life he gives us. What kind of life is it? Eternal life. The life, the eternal life that he gives us. Now and forevermore. Well, here at PBCC, all those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior are invited to participate in communion. And now we'll just take a short moment, a time of reflection to thank the Lord and to prepare our hearts. Amen. And now let's pray together. Father, we praise and thank you for loving us and giving all of yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We do not presume to come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather the crumbs under your table, but it is your character to always show mercy. Grant us, therefore, Father, God of mercy, so to eat at this, your table, that we may receive in spirit and in truth the body of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and the merits of his precious blood, so that we may live and grow in his likeness, and being forgiven, washed, and cleansed through his most precious blood, we may evermore live in you and you in us. Amen. Well, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he was, had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Well, if you would like prayer this morning, there will be pastors and elders up here. To your left, my right, that would love to pray with you. Now receive this benediction, what we just sang. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you 
a peace that passes all understanding, and a full measure of his joy. Amen. Go in peace.